you've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is not happening live stream on YouTube right now because this is podcast 701. We hope you joined us for the live stream. A reminder, we do that every 25. So there will be one at 725, 750, 775, 800, and so forth if you can do math. On to the next 100. Yes, exactly. Right? If you're also curious, the 25 variables, the, the 725 and 775 will be all questions, no cars, just to mix it up. But in between there, we have all of these and... Did you like it? We had the extra podcast. What did you guys think? There was the extra podcast yeah. that will continue going forward. There will be three podcasts a week now. There will be the Tuesday podcast. There will be this Friday podcast. But in the middle on Wednesday will be a audio-only version of one of our test drives. Yeah, I'm seeing great response on yeah. the listener feedback on our analytics great. from Spotify. Mm-hmm. People are liking it. Thank you guys for listening. And hopefully it's made it easy, a way to consume. And it's just like being in the car because we're in the car with you and you're in the car with us. And I'm confused. Anyway, hope you enjoy. Those are going to be coming. We're going to start out with uh, the greatest hits and move in. You know, eventually the entire catalog will be published. And uh, we're we're very thrilled that uh, you guys are responding so positively. Thank you so much. We've noticed that Volkswagen gained access to Navistar's back catalog when its commercial truck division, Trayton Group, merged with Navistar last year, mm. which means they own the Scout brand. This was such a curveball to me. I didn't when know I this. When I saw the announcement this week, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Volkswagen owns Scout as a brand? <laughs> Scout was like the little, I mean, it, it, was, it was like the offshoot of the big trucking industry. We're going to make an off-roader, like the serious off-roader. Yeah, military flavor, uh, serious yes. off-roader. And they were built from 61 to 1980, and they were the alternative to Wranglers and Broncos and this other, you know, you're the outlier, yeah. you're the yeah. contrarian, you go get a Scout. The Scout is to those other off-roaders what the Lotus is to other sports cars. It was the weird off-brand, mm-hmm. much more hardcore, not as nice. But those of you that like Scouts, and I can think of two or three people that are friends of mine that love Scouts, Yeah, there is no substitute. But Volkswagen... This is where I'm confused. Volkswagen, the king of platform sharing, they do it more than anybody else, Yeah, is yeah. going to make a Scout EV and theoretically pick up in the effort to compete with Rivian, et cetera, in the EV space. This concerns me. Okay. And it concerns me because of what Scout was and what Volkswagen is. Mm-hmm. Because I'm concerned mm-hmm. about it. Look, this is a worst case scenario. But imagine Volkswagen takes the ID4 oh, and no. makes a scout. Oh, no, no. But you can see that's Volkswagen thinking, though, because they are it all is. about platform sharing. This can work, and I don't know if they'll do this. This can work, I think, if Volkswagen makes a scout to just be the scout. We're going to make an EV model that's just supposed to be the scout. Kind of like Ford, when they remade the Bronco, they said, we're going to make a Bronco. Right. If they have that right. thinking, I think they really could be onto something because that is a storied name that is a hardcore off-roader name, but I'm worried about it being, even though we like it in some terms, I'm worried about it being the Blazer, where it's a scout yeah. name on something that is just a rebadged ID4 or some other SUV from Volkswagen. This is my concern. You're absolutely on point because Volkswagen needs to be careful with this, especially after seeing Johan Denishin, the COO of Volkswagen of America, quoting 
that a scout revival might be in the works here and it would take on Rivian, as you said, Mm -hmm. but at a $40,000 price point instead of a $70,000 price point. That means platform sharing. If you're going to bring the cost down, that seems great for the rest of us who want a down market Range Mm -hmm. Rover. (laughs) That's what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? uh, Yeah, for sure. But at that price point, yay, the price point's low, but oh, this is just a Atlas underneath. It's electric Atlas underneath, yeah, yeah. and now it's got the Scout styling on top of it, which is my big concern for electric cars moving forward, mm-hmm. that they're merely styling exercises on the same skateboard platform sharing. Yeah. That's the issue. And yes, you can tune it slightly differently with you know race suspension, different suspension components. Sure, the yeah. chassis tuning is a little bit different, but for the most part, that even driving experience, mm-hmm. because of the center of gravity, is matched from car to car, from SUV stretch the wheelbase it's got a little yeah, bit more passenger yeah. capacity and it's got some cool features and it looks different it's not differentiated enough i almost say keep the scouts at a seventy thousand dollar price point mm-hmm. and make it bespoke make it just scout exactly bespoke is key because the problem is the problem goes further than evs because volkswagen with their mqb platform has the weird reality of the fact that you can drive a polo mm-hmm. a golf a passat and an Atlas, and they all do drive kind of the same. I'm aware that the scale is changing, but there is a core driving feel to all of those that feels directly related, and it should because it's the same platform. Right. When we right. first got in the Atlas, and I drove it like a block, I was overwhelmed by the fact that it felt like a golf. A big golf, but a golf. But of course it should. Yeah. So this agreed. is my concern, that they're just going to platform share it, and it'll feel like everything else, but it has scout badging. But on the flip side, the upside weird that there are, I mean, DeLorean's another one that are being discussed, old brands being resurrected to just go electric. Hummer has already happened. DeLorean is being discussed. Scout is being discussed. Mm-hmm. So here's my question. Oldsmobile and Pontiac. Names I thought were... Will they be back I, as EVs I've never heard of again. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I've never thought Oldsmobile was successful as a name. Never thought it was good. But it was an early name. I mean, they were out front. Yeah, I mean, they were yeah. a really early car company. I agree. I, I feel like that's a tough name, even though it's got history. But Pontiac, what about a what about a performance electric division of GM under the Pontiac brand? That could be interesting. Yeah. There's already legions of Pontiac fans. Mm-hmm. That could bring people back to GM. I agree. Summer is back. Temperatures are warming up. What you need to do is be prepared by protecting your vehicle with a custom fit dash mat or sunscreen from our friends and long running supporters, Covercraft. Dash mats are available in a variety of attractive fabrics and colors and will keep your dashboard from being cracked by the sun. And sunscreens will help you reduce those interior temperatures and help keep the sun off the interior surfaces too. When you're shopping at Covercraft.com, remember to use the code EVERYDAY22 to get a 10% discount and it ships for free. You can follow the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com for high-quality covers that keep your car protected and looking its best through all the summer months. Great debates for you. Thank you guys for writing in. You've written amazing, interesting questions, a lot Mm -hmm. of thought-provoking questions. Starting off with the first car debate from Anthony T., who writes to us asking about cars for Gen Z. Okay. He's got a question about what comes next. Mm -hmm. Anthony is 23. He graduated from college in 2021 and got a good white collar work from home job after school. (laughs) He's currently living at home to pay off his student loans, save up for a down payment on a house and save up for his next cool car. Okay. But instead of settling for a used commuter car at pandemic pricing capitalized, (laughs) it is a thing. (laughs) Yeah. 
He decided to wait and order a 2022 Mazda Miata Club, red soft top with the manual. Awesome. Perfect. As his first car out of college because he wanted to buy a new lightweight drop top while they still exist. Love this decision making. It's really cool. Good for you. Driving the Miata, he says, has been a great experience because it's so lightweight and mechanical. Yep. Mm -hmm. He loves rowing his own gears. This is his first manual, so it's been good fun learning how to drive stick, driving with the top down, revving that naturally aspirated engine, and feeling so connected to his car. I love this. This is great. Now, the Miata checks all the boxes for what he wants in a car. Looks good, sounds good, very involving, makes him smile all the time. Mm-hmm. He also plans to install a hideaway hitch. They'll cover up, you know, to do the hobby thing that comes after he pays off his student loans in a couple of months. But he feels this strong connection, an emotional connection Love to it. the MX-5. Okay. He grew up in the video game generation, playing games like Need for Speed and Gran Turismo. So he idolized cars like the 370Z, the Nissan GTR, Lambos, Ferraris, all of those. Mm -hmm. Now that he's driving those types of cars in the real world and realizing that spec sheets don't translate to smiles. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, wait. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I just woke up. Absolutely. Bravo, man. You're absolutely right. He doesn't know if he wants those cars in the same way he did as a kid. Mm Mm-hmm. Anthony, welcome. This is a guy who talked. This is why we had our, our tagline for a long time. You can't drive a spec sheet. Exactly. Because just because that car is supposedly better than this car, have you driven them? Which has become my standard yeah. response to people on YouTube, by the way, when they <laughs> say, well, this car should have won. I'm like, well, I hope you've driven them. Exactly. You know, don't sit there with the stat sheet and say which one should win. Anyway, side note. <laughs> That's most of the internet, by the way. Well, Anthony drove a Lamborghini Gallardo at a multi-lap experience one time, and he said it was good fun, but he was left wishing he could get closer to the limit like he can with his Miata. Yeah. He never got past third gear, even though he was driving fast, right? Mm -hmm. He also drove a Tesla Model S once on some country back roads, and it produced some interesting sensations with an instant torque and low center of gravity, but left him feeling emotionally unconnected Mm. because it felt like driving in his video games more than driving a real car. Yes, it does. Absolutely. You're on point, Anthony. So his question for us is what comes next. Mm. He's always wanted to own a supercar like an R35 Nissan GTR. That was the, the poster on his wall as a kid. Okay. But he doesn't think he can justify smiles per dollar, that ratio for a supercar that he'll never be able to safely push hard and enjoy on the street. This is a tough and very real discussion. He loves the looks and the sounds of various Lotus cars, the new Amira and the Evora and the Elise. Okay. He loves the new Nissan Z and the 370, the Charger and the Challenger, the Elantra and Veloster N, the Mm -hmm. GR86 or a Supra, a V6 or V8 Camaro, Jaguar F-Type and XK XKRs, Boxsters, (laughs) Caymans, Julia Quadrifolios, and the Fiat 500 Abart and Fiat Abart. By the way, which is, it's, it's a pretty sad thing when we go to Fiat's website nowadays because it's just the 500. Mm Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Everything absolutely. else is yeah. gone. It's, it's this gone. lonely little car on their webpage. Don't you want to buy one of these? Acres of vast matrix white space. <laughs> and, and it's just the 500. Just a big white website with a car in the middle. <laughs> Pretty much. That's very funny. Anthony's not sure if all these cars are worth the extra money and time investment when his Miata already checks all the boxes for his type of fun. With electrification looming over the future, he's also not quite sure if he'll find any new electric vehicles that he can enjoy like he loves his MX-5. Mm, okay. He wants to have some sort of goal to work for, a decision on what comes next. So what would we do if we were Gen Zers? Would we work for the supercar that we idolized as a kid? Would you buy another sports car from the list above, or can we recommend any alternatives that he's failed to consider? 
He is considered a lot. Good job, Anthony. This is really wow. good. Anthony's also considered a motorcycle. He thinks he wants one. He says, we'll see, as he's attempting to get his license sometime in the next year, or a comfortable fuel-sipping car or an EV commuter car for highway driving. Or do we wait to see what the EV world has to offer after the mass market money-printing electric crossovers, funding the R&D departments of automakers the world over? For more before they get to the fun stuff, that's going to be a while. <laughs> it's going to be the a while. margins on you. electric cars are even worse right now than than the standard vehicles, and so it's going to be a while. I agree. Or should he just stop thinking and remember the acronym? Mm-hmm. Yada is always the answer. He's looking for advice. Wow, Anthony, really appreciate you writing. Thank mm-hmm. you for following the podcast. Totally, we, this is very interesting and thought provoking because I haven't thought about it until you asked. Mm. And my nephew is Generation Z. Sure, sure. He is a Gen Zer, and the more stuff I expose him to, the more I talk about, the more he's around me, mm-hmm. I can see him start to get excited about cars, stuff he never mm. had thought about before. He joined us recently when we were in uh, Washington for our track experience with Grio's Garage, mm-hmm. and the stuff that was coming out of his mouth... <laughs> I didn't teach him. He was oh, talking really? about McLaren this and Ferrari that. Oh, and that's cool. Porsche 908 came out of his mouth. And yeah, it's just like. <laughs> you just stood back and grinned. <laughs> you I love know it. what Can-Am cars are now. That's cool. Fantastic. I love it. And I can see the, the growth. I can mm-hmm. see the seeds beginning to take hold. There's some roots growing, which yeah. is wonderful to see. Anthony, you're already there. And as a matter of fact, you were, you're there sooner than I ever was. I knew I loved cars. Mm-hmm. I was in college at the time designing cars obsessed with cars, but I had never really started to feel what Todd and I have liked and identified not only as drivers and enthusiasts of, you know, bringing you guys the show, but then also our own proclivities, our own thoughts, our own feelings, what we want out of cars. And you have a long runway to plan out your car future, but I want you to allow yourself to take side roads and pursue a path that you didn't see as part of the plan. And here's what I mean. When I was 23 years old, I thought that I had discovered everything I was going to like. Ah, interesting. I thought I had discovered all the foods I was going to eat, all the flavors that I liked, (laughs) all the drinks. I tried coffee and sugary drinks and alcoholic drinks. I tried them all. Mm -hmm. Hobbies, sleeping habits, daily routines, genres, books that I like to read. And I'm I'm 23 and this is who I am forever. I've seen it all. I've read the internet. I know what's out there. You've reached the end of the internet. Please go outside. (laughs) Exactly. Please go outside and have a day. I thought about cars and from my car knowledge, all the types of cars I thought I would always like, even brands. And Mm. now it just came down to money. I was also too precious with things, Mm. especially cars. And the biggest thing is, Anthony, I thought I was good at driving. Mm. I thought I was good at driving. Been driving a few years. I got this. 23, long runway ahead of me. The world is my oyster. (laughs) I can handle whatever car comes along. It's now just a matter of me extracting all the car's goodness with my powers. (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing because (laughs) we still are struggling with this reality. That's why I'm laughing. That's good. Excellent. There's next car, next level cars we get into and like, I know nothing. Yeah, I know nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm an idiot. This is what an F1 car teaches. It's like, okay, got a lot to learn. Moving on. So Anthony, you need to get better at driving. Mm. Everyone can always do better at driving. I don't care if you're Max. I don't care if you're somebody in a minivan doing bad maneuvers. Mm Everybody can get better. Nobody will admit that they're not good at driving either. Have you ever asked a group of friends? You're all good at driving, right? Well, of course. It's the, a 
foregone conclusion. Of course, we're all good at driving. The only people that ever say they aren't good at driving are the people who wish they didn't have to and hate it. Yes. But yes. anybody that anybody listening to this show, <laughs> Lexus owners, Wait, anybody sorry. that anybody that likes to drive and likes cars, that group, everybody's brilliant. We're all great drivers. We're all great. Yeah. I've watched plenty of racing from Can Am Race, Vintage Formula One. Yeah. I've watched Le Mans. I've watched all the sports car series. I know how to drive. Yep, yep absolutely. Yep. The guys doing it right there on TV. I, I can do that. You just drive in circles, right? You just drive around in circles. I, I've driven on the Sims. I can do it. Totally. It's going to be great. Yeah. Now, it's not really the car, Anthony, that you need to aspire to. A car needs to aspire to your increasing skills. Oh, interesting take. Okay. You've already got a car that you're extracting a lot from. So future cars need to aspire to your growing skills, mm. not the other way around. Mm. That's when you know you have a match. And that car might not look like the one you expected. I want you to be willing to choose a car that initially doesn't seem like the one you want because it's not the best specs in all categories. You already know this. Mm. My question to you is, are life skills disappearing, Anthony? If I give you a knife and a forest, can you build a campfire safely without burning the forest down? <laughs> no. Here's a knife and a forest. Go get warm. Yeah. Can you back a boat down in the ramp into the water? Mm-hmm. Can you tie a bowling? Can you tie your tie, your necktie? Can you change a tire all without watching a video first? Mm. So elevate your stock price. I encourage you to get a car that elevates your driving and the car matches now your increased driving skill. Okay. All right. The only way you're going to know that is to go get driving skill first before you aspire to the next car. Because of video games, like you said, Todd, and because of Gen Z and the video game era, even though I still consider myself a little bit of the video game era. Oh, we're gamers for sure. We were the My first. My friend gen had of in gamers. television. I was. We, we were the first gen of Atari's gamers. Absolutely, and, we were. Yeah. And then right after, and then all through college, I was obsessed with driving video games. I have spent a lot of hours as a father yes. playing video games with my son, and it could be argued because my <laughs> wife has argued it. Who's having more fun? She's walked by before and gone. You're both just children, you know, because we are. Let's exactly. let's be honest. Yeah. Anthony, you've got a nimble, low-powered car right now, and I do think you need to own a high-powered car at some point in your life. You might like it, you might hate it, Mm. but be willing to bounce around, not just buy all your future cars in ascending order of price and power. Mm, That's good. I'll give you an example. Ferrari Mondials. I thought they were the lame Ferrari. The Oh, man, you should have worked harder in life to get yourself a real Ferrari, because that's not a real Ferrari. You went and bought a Ferrari, and you bought the Mondial. Like, what'd you do? Did you trip? Did you fall? Did you not hear the gun go off? Like, silver, silver medal for you. Like, you didn't get gold. You didn't, come on, work harder. And they're awesome. It was surprisingly fun, wasn't it? It was so good. I'd take a Mondial over many other Ferraris. I'm not interested in new Ferraris. The SF90, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. Yeah. I really don't care. (laughs) An old Dino from 1973? Oh. Okay. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. The 2000, year 2000 or 2001, 550? Mm. Yeah, yes. Remember when Dinos were 40 grand and they were the Ferrari (laughs) that no one wanted and you couldn't, I mean, everybody's like, oh, you got a Dino. Now- like a quarter million dollar car, if you're lucky. My out, my Accord can outrace your Dino. Like, yeah, what are you thinking? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. But here's what I want to leave you with, Anthony. All the different kinds of platforms are what's next for you. Okay. Experience all the types of car architecture. Car architecture. Mm. Car architecture. Look at you. So you've experienced now the front engine, rear drive, classic sports car, but you need all of them. You need to go try all, the, all those different platforms and, and layouts 
just as you've started to, you already noticed big differences mm-hmm. between that mm-hmm. Tesla you drove yeah, yeah. and the others that you've driven. Get all, get the, the driving experience, pursue driving schools, pursue driving education. Don't have to exhibit it on the street. We don't have to race. We don't have to show everybody and prove a point and punish them for cutting you off and then show you how <laughs> nimble your and good your driving skills are. But as you're growing in skills, then those specs you read without ever having driven the car will start to tell you, huh, may, I might not be interested in that car. It sounds good at first, but that's not the right answer because here's what I like as a driver. You're already starting to identify it, but I think you're on yeah. the right track. And also houses are good investments. <laughs> yes. If you're actually house shopping in your 20s, you are doing quite you're well. You're doing well. That's very good. Anthony, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. I like where Paul went about advancing your driving skill because you can never be too good a driver. Yes. And you can never start too soon. I wish I would have started much sooner. So, yeah, I hope you are autocrossing your MX-5. I hope you take it to some track days and really ring it out and get a sense of it. What I'm hearing from you is you need low weight. Yeah. And you need manual transmission. Yep. And when you got into the Gallardo that you drove at one of those exotic drive days, it was neither. It was neither lightweight nor manual. And you're right. The the number of things, and it's it's a huge percentage, the number of things that Paul and I drive where we are so aware we just can't use it is would shock you. The number of things that we just are, I can't use this power. Mm -hmm. I can hit it for a second or two, but then, okay. That, That was the whole thing with the Hellcat, which is riotously funny. In totally. every form. Totally. But, but what you get out of it is you get full throttle for one, two, maybe three seconds. Yeah. And then you laugh and you look at your passengers and you cackle and you slow back down to something <laughs> they, that is... They're white as a sheet. You slow back down to something that is now only 20 miles an hour over the speed limit <laughs> instead of 50 or 60, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, and that's, that's what the car does. And then if you yeah. throw it into a corner, you keep thinking, well, that did, that did better than I thought. It's never like, whoa, that handled great. It's always, oh, that did better than I expected right. with a car like that because it's huge and massively powerful. I think you're going to find it hard to, uh, to top what you've got in the Miata because what I like is you have found already at 23 with your first major car purchase what we want everyone to find. It is that car that engages you all the time and makes you smile, whether you're going for groceries or you're going to a track day. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. Now, to Paul's point, I think you're going to leave that car at some point. You're going to go through lots of other car experiences, but what a great touchstone for you mm-hmm. to know, I like this. I also wouldn't wait for an EV to replace what you have in the Miata because I think it's going to be a long while because we yes. have, as you already said, we have to get through all the crossovers. We have to get through making money on EVs, having the <laughs> yes. infrastructure to f- charge everybody's EVs. Then we might get to some fun once we figure out how the battery packs can be lighter. Because I think what's killing all of these is weight. Your GTR stuck on me when okay. you mentioned loving the GTR. Because I get it. It is the poster car of the generation you're in. It's the poster car of the video games you've played. It is a video game on four wheels. If you drive it, it has that feel. You said you didn't like him in the Tesla. The GTR drives kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. It's unbelievably capable. You're not that necessary. I mean, <laughs> congratulations. I mean, one of the major engineers said he wanted to have a grandmother be able to drive that car on a track within spitting distance of the times of a professional driver. And they succeeded in making a car that is that fast and that capable, what that means is flip the equation around. That means the driver's not as important. By the way, after we drove that very first GTR in mm-hmm. 2010, 2009? Uh, 09, 2010, I think it was 09. The very first iteration of the R35. Todd comes back from his interview and he goes, huh, 
You can go around the corners at 100. I never knew that. <laughs> that was one of the cars, like the Evo, where if, if it's not cornering well enough, what you need to do is you need to add power, which is... You were just sort of like, huh, so matter of fact. Yeah. It makes no sense at all. So what I, what I want to challenge you with, Anthony, is you need to try to get, and if it's those exotic drive experiences or something like DriveShare or whatever, you need to get into as many of your hero cars as you can. Yeah. Because the key thing here is... Do not believe what you think about a car until you've driven it. What, totally. whatever, whatever that car is. Totally. You've had it on your wall forever. It must be amazing. But allow yourself to drive it and not like it. Because that might be the case. You might drive it and it might surprise you. And Paul and I love it when that happens. We drive. Yeah. And that can be a boring silver SUV. When we drive something and it surprises us, that's our best day at work. It's just like, this is actually really great. <laughs> also, as it turns out, Formula One cars are better than you think. That is, that is interesting. I thought we're, it was really, really good, and it's actually better We're going to keep circling back to that. <laughs> but, but, Anthony, I want you to get into as many of the cars that are on your hero list as possible and allow yourself to drive some and not like them and allow yourself to drive others and be surprised by them. Mm-hmm. And that will allow you to find your next car. I think it's going to be something less than 3,500 pounds. That's what Agreed. I think is going to be. Agreed. I think that's going to be the stuff and to focus GTRs on. GTRs are not. And they are not. I think you need to drive a Boxster Cayman because it's mid-engine and it's great. Yes. But it's very different than the Miata. I think you need to drive a 911 to feel the difference of that versus pretty much everything else on the road. Yeah. I think with your proclivities you've shared already, you would like owning a Lotus Elise because cars in general, the things you like about your Miata are things that cars are walking away from. Fewer and fewer cars are like that Miata. The Elise is... uh, Half the people that have rented my Elise are Miata owners. And I love when they get out and just go, whoa. Because they came in in something that was small and involving. And then they get out of the Lotus and they're like, yeah, that's a whole different level, which is really cool. You need, to, you need to drive an Elise. I think that might be the car for you. The F-Type's interesting, but only if you get a manual. But two other thoughts here. I think you would really like a C7 Corvette at some point. Because that gets you all the power that you haven't had. And at some point, Paul said this already, you should get something with too much power. I think you should. Just to figure out how yeah. to handle it. Yeah. How do you, and, and can you use it? You might love it and you might hate it. Mm-hmm. Like I said. You, you might just be like, I, I just, I'm bored by this because I know I'm boring the car. Mm-hmm. You know, but get yourself a manual C7 Corvette, big, classic American V8, rear-wheel drive, manual transmission. That is, that is an experience you should have. But I'm also going to say this to you. I'm not going to list out cars. I'm going to list out an era of cars. I was thinking about this. Okay. The current Mazda Miata MX-5 is the closest car we have culturally right now to the feel of all the sports cars of the 90s and early 2000s. It's good. Yeah. That era when they were lighter and they had a whole lot less tech and they were much more involving because they didn't have paddle shifts yet. It wasn't possible. That era of cars is kind of close to the feel of your Miata. So if you have cars that you seek out or like, I've, I've noticed this with the 300ZX. The people that are most excited to see that car are under 25. Interesting. I mean... Everybody, I feel like that's a car person, has a connection to that car. And, oh, I always like those. Or, those are really cool or whatever. But the people that like stop hmm. and walk around that car are all under 25. And I bring this up, Anthony, because if you have cars of that late 90s to early 2000s era, think about the fact that covers things like the NSX and the Super and the 300ZX, but it also covers things like the E46 M3. That decade, yeah. 95 to 05, there were a lot of great cars in there. If there's stuff out of that era that you like or you're intrigued by, drive those as well because I think you might find something that connects. It's a great point because you're bringing up tech 
And Gen Z is the generation from tech. Really, Absolutely. the first generation yes, for sure. just from zero mm-hmm. started with a lot of technology. Mm-hmm. And those cars actually don't. Their technology was mechanical. Yes, It was exactly. in the balance of the chassis, the tuning mm-hmm. chassis. I mean, the 300Z with the rear wheel steering, that's technology, but that's not like tech we know today and how we refer to te- technology with it's- screens and over-the-air updates and features galore and a couple hundred pounds of extra wiring harnesses. It's a hydraulic mechanical rear steer that worked. Right. Right. It's technology, but not like we think of today. So I wonder if that factors into it, even though you've driven it on on a video game, but now because it's so analog and you're going to have to decide, do I like older cars? Mm -hmm. Am I willing to source the parts and find the car and put the money into it to keep them alive? I kind of feel like Gen Z is starting to discover the old cars yeah, that the older yeah, yeah. generations have loved forever. Our parents, Todd, mm-hmm. you know, that, that generation and kind of gravitate towards like, Oh, those are actually cool. And they lack everything. This is, <laughs> this is like a wind up watch. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. All it does is tell the time. What do you mean? I can't take pictures with this. Doesn't track my health. I, like, I can't what? take pictures with this watch. Yeah. That's really weird. And I, I think that's kind of interesting. And for that reason, it gives me hope that, the younger generations will continually discover the old stuff and keep them alive mm. because they're the exact opposite of what they grew up with. Interesting. I love that. When your car needs new brakes, it's a great time to upgrade for better stopping power. We're excited to partner with Power Stop Brakes for an easy way to get more performance from something you already need. Power Stop is on a mission to deliver better brakes on every vehicle in every situation from daily commuting to towing to track days. These are all bolt-on direct-fit parts for better braking, no modifications required. Every PowerStop complete brake kit comes with all the parts you need to upgrade your brakes, including pads, rotors, and even those little clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which they've tested extensively to deliver low dust and noise-free performance. So the next time you need brakes or you simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use car finder. We even found great kits for our SUVs and our cheap sports cars. Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com. Sam G. writes to us with the headline that he needs more power. Oh, and room for golf clubs. (laughs) Wait, screech. What? (laughs) I'm sorry? More power Uh and room for golf clubs. Okay. All right. He's Mm -hmm. in a fun dilemma. He's contemplating which direction to go with his new vehicle. His MOF has one requirement. One ping only, Vesely. Mm-hmm. One ping. Great movie. Whatever vehicle that Sam gets has to have room for both of their golf clubs in the trunk, preferably without doing a 60-40 seat split in the back. Okay. His MOF hates the size of his A3. He likes his A3, but that 2016, 2016 uh, Audi A3 2-liter, he likes it, but it isn't big enough for her and the golf clubs. Now, <clears throat> this is not typically something that we pursue, and we have said very publicly, hi, by the way, <clears throat> to you and your wife, Sam, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm going to keep going down this road. We've said very publicly that the need for golf clubs has ruined many a car. The shining example right now is the current styling of the Corvette C8, Yes, which yes. should have had a different rear end, and it doesn't because it was required to carry two sets of golf clubs. So you want to okay. see it, Corvette, Sam, mm-hmm. and yep. thank you for writing. All right, good. Good to that have you here. That is the car, the yep. most compromised sports car on the planet. It's so compromised, it's excellent. 
It's superb. It does everything well. Thanks for writing in. Corvette C8. One monetary unit, please. <laughs> Sam's history in vehicles that he's owned is include an 01 Saab 95 Arrow, front-wheel okay. drive. 2007 Lexus IS250, all-wheel drive. 2011 Ford Taurus SHO, all-wheel drive. I remember the first generation of that. Yeah. First SHO. With the Yamaha V8. Yamaha, that so was cool. Pretty cool. And the aforementioned 2016 Audi A3 2.0. Sam is 28 years old, and he said this current A3 serves a great purpose in his previous job where gas mileage was pivotal. Okay. It's fun and nimble, but now he works from home, so gas doesn't really matter, and he doesn't drive nearly as much. <laughs> Let's blow it out. <laughs> gas mileage, yes. <laughs> so what does he want? Well, he wants a fun, fast car that is also comfortable on highway roads if they were to take short trips on the weekends to play golf. Okay. He's not keen on Mercedes-Benz's because of the horror stories of the reliability, okay. but could be convinced to try them out. Truly, he says, all brands could be in consideration. The budget is fifty to $60,000. Okay, good. And at this point, he's considered Cadillac CT5 Vs, Lexus IS 500 Fs, mm. Audi S4s, and BMW 3 Series. Okay. So what's he missing? He says, any and all help is very much appreciated. The test drive phase is next. We're about to give you drive homework. Mm -hmm, for sure. And he says, waiting for the market to cool off, too. Sam, we filmed... An episode not too long ago about golf cars, cars designed for golf, sports this a, cars. This is a much misunderstood episode, golf. much misunderstood, but it anyway. really is. And by the way, I watch golf with my dad. Whenever I go visit him, mm -hmm. yeah, we yeah. watch golf together. He grew up golfing. He was on the golf mm -hmm. team in junior high and loved, loves golf. We used to have a putting contest together. I admit I'm not a golfer. It, the bug never caught on. I never really got into it. But I do enjoy watching it with him, and it's our thing that we do together. We had, like I said, putting contest. My parents used to live on a, a fairway of you a cap, golf course. Clap quietly while you watch. Clap quietly. I mean, okay, all props to Scotty Scheffler for winning the Masters. <laughs> My dad's favorite golfer is Fred Couples. I know the guys. Know. We've dissected. You could be a mid-level, no-name golfer and rake in millions, finishing 23rd in all the tournaments. <laughs> it is lucrative. A lot of people like it. But the golf cars episode that we shot were cars designed to carry golf clubs. And it was the C8 Corvette convertible mm -hmm. and the Lexus LC 500. Mm -hmm. Both these cars have ample room for golf, golf clubs in the back. And the key element about that comparison was the fact that both of those cars specifically were designed to carry a couple sets of golf clubs. We right. know they're not direct competitors, but the but C8 stated. was talking about being a grand tourer and a sports car. But hey, guess what? Golf clubs, golf clubs, and the LC500, one of the prettiest cars ever, golf clubs, golf clubs. So we did golf cars. <laughs> and yeah, anyway, moving on. These cars, because they're both so compromised, aren't the purest example of the most fun, yeah. fastest yeah. sports cars you can buy. Because they need to carry golf clubs. And the biggest thing that's in my mind, Sam, is that when you have golf clubs, two sets, we'll mm -hmm. say, full set of irons and woods. Yeah. I mean, we're not just talking the pitch and putt. <laughs> like three, you know, <laughs> three par, nine holes. If you start talking, talking watches, you could really hear me go quiet. We're talking yeah. the full uh -huh. sets. The reason you won't ever drive fast in that car is because the clubs will be rattling it around and being thrown from side to side. Mm. I don't know anybody, I've never seen anybody that straps their golf clubs down. Even if you strap the bag down, the clubs are still rattling around in there, and they sound horrible when you go around a corner at anything above the speed limit. How has nobody solved this? I don't know. 
Uh, can we not have? Can the C8 not come with golf bag straps that just like strap everything in? It's actually a horrible, unsettling noise. Even yeah. if the golf clubs are way in the back of the trunk, you you're gritting your teeth, you're <laughs> you know cringing. And so I think, what? Why would you try to drive fast with golf clubs in the trunk? They rattle around and they're really noisy and makes you really uncomfortable, and which automatically slows you down. Mm. But then you take the golf clubs out and you go for just to drive in that car, Let's and you so. think to yourself. Man, this car could be so much better. It has too much space in it. It's not a pure sports car because it carries golf clubs. Mm-hmm. Why do you need a sports car to take your golf clubs to the range? Why can't you just put them in an SUV, put them in a normal car, and you go to the range, and you have a game, and then you go home, and then you have a sports car? Why do the clubs have to be in the car? These are, these are the questions. Why do the clubs have to be in the car? These are the questions that actually keep Paul and I up at because night. Because you're not going to drive fast with the clubs in the car, and then if you're just going to the range, <laughs> there's no point in taking a sports car. Yes, I, I, I hear you. There's no point. I hear you. The car I'm suggesting for you is the Alfa Romeo Quadrifoglio, Julia Quadrifoglio. I have it on my list. Excellent. That's Very good. excellent, fun, fast car, and it does carry clubs. Carry all your clubs. But when you get after it, it still turns into a sports car. Yep, for sure. It's excellent to drive, and it fits in your budget. We talked about when that car came out, it was 80 grand. We thought, huh, in three to five years, these would probably be 50 grand. Sure enough, I think they're right around 50. 50, 60, yeah. I think that's your car because any of the other cars on your list, I'm excited about them for 10 seconds. Mm. I think you'll get it, and it'll be a new car, and it's just not a sports car. Mm. It's not. It's not sporty enough, yeah. How about two cars? Let's split the budget. 30 grand each. Yep. You got an SUV yep. and then you go get yourself a $30,000 Cayman or Boxster. Mm. Then you split the activities. Golf and sports car driving don't have to be done at the same time. Yeah, true. As a matter of fact, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> to, to date, nobody has successfully done sports car driving with clubs in the car. <laughs> We're going to get letters. I'm just letting you know. There will be people I writing in nobody about their experience. Because the noise of the clubs and the cringe factor of the clubs smashing each side of your car makes you slow down. <laughs> people chucking their car down so the road take with the clubs, clubs out. Anyway. Okay, yes. All right. Get the point. But I'm thinking, why does it just have to be one car at that price? Interesting. Okay. I'm thinking SUV, and I'm thinking pure sports car. Because mm. you guys love both, let's separate them. Let's mm. keep the activities mm. separate. We've always said tool for the job. The tool for the job to go golfing isn't a sports car. <laughs> because all you're doing is just driving up the road into the clubhouse, d- yeah. park, done. Yep. No sporty driving involved, from what I can tell. <laughs> and if the clubhouse has a really nice road up to it, it probably has one of those 25-mile-an-hour speed limits. Not just one. Yeah. It has about six of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you like don't want to be good. in a sports car, because then you have to creep over, and then the person in the Escalade behind you is like, come on, what are you doing? Easing your way over the speed bumps. just going golfing. Why'd you bring a sports car? I like it. This is funny. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. It's very good. Two cars, SUV. All right. How about a Mazda 3 Turbo and a Cayman? How about Ooh. a Mazda 3 Turbo and a Boxster? Oh, I like it. Those are fun. They're both interesting. Yeah. The Mazda 3 will carry clubs. You'll have to put the seats down. Well, but yes, okay. But, but yeah, I hear right, you. Get a small SUV. How about the CX-5 instead? Yeah. Okay. Slightly yeah. use CX-5 mm-hmm. and a Boxster. That sounds delightful. Two different activities, mm-hmm. two different days. Maybe the first half of the day you get 18 in, and then you go for a drive in your sports car. Come home, park <laughs> the clubs, go for a drive. I like this. This is good. Sam, this is interesting. Paul went somewhere I did not because I, I, I heard from you here that you're only going to buy one car, even though I actually will agree with Paul's discussion that you should buy 
two different cars. But if we're, <laughs> we're buying one, letters. I can tell. We're going to get. Oh yeah, there'll, there'll be, there's, fine. there's golfing that's, emails that's are in, totally on their fine. way. This is, we read them. We read it all. I reserve the right to be wrong. The if we're going to chase the one car thing, it has to have clubs in the back. You still want to enjoy driving. Smash, smash. Yeah, I know. Just just pad the inside of your. Here, here's but you have to wrap each individual club shaft. In tissue, in, in in some sort of bubble wrap, what to if, prevent them from crashing into each well, other. Well, but what if what if you what if you wrap? Sorry, I'm off on a separate tangent. What if you wrap the interior in soundproofing, the interior of the trunk, so they're still smashing around in there. It's just <laughs> it's just a weird thump. There's crashing and smashing. It's, it's just, just a, a weird lower thump. volume. You just don't know it. It just What's allows that? you anyway, to yeah. ignore it anyway more easily. I, I do like the Alpha Julia for this. I actually like it a lot. Paul already brought that up. I think that's good. The Genesis G70 is also on my list because mm. that has actually not a very good back seat, but you don't need a back seat. You need a good sized trunk, and it has a good sized trunk. That's good. That's so Genesis good. Yeah, G70. If that's not enough space for you, the Alt to the G70 is always the Kia Stinger. Yeah, yeah. But I think I have my favorite. Okay. Of all of these. I haven't done the golf bag test for reasons that have already been stated, but based on what I remember of the size of this, I think it actually would work. You need a used Porsche Panamera. That's that's a good compromise. Because like that it. will yeah. take the golf clubs in the back, yeah. Yeah. but whether you're golfing with your golf clubs properly strapped down with padded material or... You're just going out for a fun drive, or you're going to drive across the country. The Panamera is going to feel fun to drive and smaller than it appears when you push it. But yet it is a hatch with quite a bit of space. So I think that maybe the answer is the Porsche Panamera. What if the trunk had a lot of little leather straps embossed with your initials (laughs) and a brass buckle, and you could actually strap down each individual club so they're just locked down <laughs> and individual holders for your golf ball. So not just three in a row. It's just oh, one. No. Oh, no. It's just like this grippy thing that holds on to just so minimalism. We'll talk to Covercraft <laughs> about making an insert that is the golfing insert. You just put each uh-huh. club into a Covercraft bag and then put those in your golf bag. And so when they crash into each other, it's all good. It's all strapped down in the back. You would look like some sort of golfing assassin when you get to the club and you're, you're, you're pulling each club out individually and unwrapping it. Who are you? Individually unsheath my three iron. <laughs> Sam, I want you to have a BMW, a Porsche, a GR Supra, a Nissan G, a Z, excuse me, or a CLA 45. The CLA 45 is my compromise car. Mm. That's my list. Okay. They're $70,000. Can you go shopping for used? Ouch. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Our friends at Griot's Garage have got a new line of ceramic products to make your car care easier and more satisfying than ever. You can start with the new Ceramic Wash and Coat, an ultra-slick formula that can be used with either the bucket wash method, the foaming sprayer, the cannon, or whatever Paul has come up with now. We take Speed Shine with us on every single shoot. It's the ultimate for quick detailing, and now it has ceramic protection too. Ceramic Speed Shine maintains a slippery gloss finish in between your main washing and protection days. And they even have ceramic trim wipes for long-lasting protection on plastic trim. Try any of these products individually or use them as your new wash routine. They're 100% guaranteed, and all the liquid products from Griot's are made in the USA. And don't forget to use the new code EDRIVER when you're ordering from griotsgarage.com. Our audience gets 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else. That's Griot's, G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Thank you guys, as always, for great questions. We always post for questions the days we do the, before we do the podcast. So that's Monday and 
Thursday. We post for questions for those podcasts on Tuesdays and Fridays. One more reminder and shout out. We're doing a Wednesday podcast now. It's audio from the Test Drive channel, one of yeah. our test drives. Also, while I'm thinking of announcements, uh, in case you didn't remember, we're coming to Philadelphia for Radwood. Can't believe it. That yes. is uh, just over a week away. In fact, happy Friday. The week from this Friday, you're listening to this podcast, we will be meeting many of you at this really cool restaurant called Barnaby's in Westchester, Pennsylvania, that there is still the possibility for you to join us. It is an all-inclusive drinks as well. So you can go to our, our website, go to the Adventures tab, click on the East Meetup. You can join us Friday night. Hopefully, we'll also see you Saturday at the Subaru Center for, uh, for Radwood. But we are on our way, which is very cool, and I can't believe we're doing it, but we are coming so uh, get ready for that. Justin Inman on Facebook said he just listened to podcast 347 from November 2018. That's a mm. while back. Second segment was about the new Corolla hatchback as a commuter, and you, Paul, were less than optimistic because Corolla. Has the, has the base hatch redeemed itself, or is the GR, or is it just GR or bust? Was that the updated Corolla? Because I don't remember, I don't remember this Years. podcast specifically. It's a long time ago, but I will say this. Watch our first test drive. If you go to the test drive channel, the oldest video on there was when we first drove the Corolla XSE hatchback, the current Corolla in hatchback form, long before the GR Corolla was mentioned. We had it in a six-speed on a very tight road in California, and we were both pleasantly surprised by it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Paul that made the comment that wouldn't it be cool if this was 300 horsepower and all-wheel drive? Ding, ding. So <laughs> I whipped the sheet off. In spite of what may have happened on that podcast, the current Corolla has always been surprising to us. It's been the Corolla that broke what the Corolla has become for us, which is kind yes. of a wham wham. It was the Corolla that was like, okay, now hang on a second. So then the GR on top of that has real promise. Yes, all prior Corollas, unworthy. The new GR and this generation, <laughs> worthy. Nathaniel G. asks, the difference between a base Cayman and a Cayman S... Oh, good. I'm glad you're tackling this. ...is a huge jump. The base being in his budget, the S not so much. Mm-hmm. Nathaniel, we have talked about the base Cayman being the play simply because of price to chassis. Of course, that chassis can take a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And in the higher iterations, it does. It does great. It's fantastic. Of course, quite aspirational. And the differences are suspension, brakes, and engine power. Yeah. And in some of the, if you're talking the new one, does the new one, the new one only comes with a six speed, but the first gen, the base came in was a five and the S was a six. Right. But now it's right. all sixes. The, and the transmission were different because the engine architecture was entirely yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing to the point you're making, Paul, is that the base came in now because it's turbo mm-hmm. is really powerful. It really is. Now, at this point, the brand new Cayman and Cayman S are still both the four-cylinder engine, the 718. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then when you go to the GTS or the GT4, that's when it goes back to the naturally aspirated four-liter yeah. flat six. So there's more difference at that point, but I think you would be perfectly, perfectly happy with a base Cayman. Of course, the Cayman S is something to aspire to. Yes, you can do stuff to it if you ever want Stiffer suspension, you want to yeah, yeah. you know throw a little money at it and, and change the dynamics. But base Caymans are just fun to drive. Mm. And it's almost like the Porsche equivalent of a Miata. And by that, I mean extract all you can, all the driving sure, knowledge you can sure. out of a base Cayman before you, maybe you skip the S. Mm. Maybe you go right to a GT4. Maybe you go to an 911. Maybe you go to something totally different after mm. that mm. with more power, you know, chassis set up to handle that better power, that kind of thing. But you've gotten a very good mid-engine car and you're getting all that you can. You know that you're, you know, you're extracting 90%. You've taken it to the track, you've autocrossed it, Canyon roads, you've commuted and you're getting all you can out of that car. And then you go to something else. Maybe, like I said, you skip an S entirely. 
and you go to something else later on, but you cannot go wrong with a base. And I keep coming back to base 911s. It just seems like why would anybody buy a brand new base 911 or Cayman? Who buys these cars? Mm. They do get sold, yeah, yeah, but yeah. later on, those are the bargains. Those are the ones you want. You're right. You're right. They're the used finds for sure. On Instagram, Jared Rose one says, okay, hang on a second, guys, because we've been a little excited about our F1 adventure. We've posted some things about it, and there's <laughs> lots more coming. We have the full episode coming. The edit on that, we've been joking about the fact that Chance has been working on the edit. It just sounds fun. It just sounds to hear the car go by, it's like, oh, that's cool. But his question is valid, and that is, how on earth... Does an F1 car fit into everyday driver <laughs> as a mission, as, as us wanting everybody to drive cars they love? And Jared, there's two ways to look at that. On on the headline, you're right. It doesn't fit at all. It, it makes no sense. However, there is a separate component in the way we do our show, and that is we want to share car experiences with all of you. Yes. we want ha- And, and we, we kind of loosely discuss it as what's the adventure episode in every season. We do six episodes for a new season. We talk about what is the adventure of this season? Mm -hmm. What is the thing that is out of the box that may not be even really about the car being reviewed as much as it is about the experience that we're having? And yes, Yes. this one, I will admit the F1 pushes the boundary probably the furthest because generally when we do an adventure episode, we want it to be an adventure that you, the audience could also go do. Mm -hmm. This one's quite hard. (laughs) it's it's remarkably difficult to duplicate what we did. And we kind of, thanks to our friends at Griot's kind of fell into the opportunity. It was not even really something that we were like, you know, we should do, but it was (laughs) out of conversation with Griot's. We realized we could do it. And we were like, yes, let's do that. Because we think all of us listening, if you've ever watched an F1 race, you've probably been like, wonder what that's like. So we did, we said, wonder what that's like. And we went and tried it. And that's what we want to share with you. So it's our adventure episode. We hope you will love it. I am aware of the fact we are not going to be shopping for F1 cars, nor is there a school for you to go strap yourself in. <laughs> Along those lines, Geese1RBM asks, what determines how high an engine will rev? Used to think it was related to engine size or cylinder count, but that's not the case. What are the benefits of having a high revving engine since that doesn't necessarily correlate directly to power? Well, it all depends on use for the job, and the determination is engine architecture, and that is the stroke of each cylinder. A very short stroke will allow your engine to rev much higher, whether the the cylinders are uh, a large bore or a small bore. So think bike engines, you know, sport bike engines are 14,000 RPM or more. And Formula One cars from the 90s and 2000s, the V12, the V10s, and the V8 era Mm. Formula One cars, the displacement is tiny. But you're talking about engines that go in very lightweight high-performing cars versus a long-stroke, big diesel engine sure, sure. Yeah. that needs to move a lot of weight. And it, you know, it's, it's all about weight, really. Mm-hmm. And so to, to maintain speed through corners and you're in a lightweight chassis, you don't need a real torquey engine to move you off the line because you're going so fast. Whereas off the line, you need to tow your house off its foundation. <laughs> you know what I didn't do? Horse trailer, you, you need a big truck. So that's the determination and we were fascinated by this engines, you know, all these architectures. Yeah, the yeah. Formula One engine was twice the cylinder count of the Formula Ford and the Formula Atlantic. Those were inline fours, and those are very high revving. Mm-hmm. Now double the cylinder count and keep that high revving nature yeah. e- even slightly higher. Oh, my gosh. It was nutty. But then you're carrying so much speed, and when you downshift into a corner, you're still at seven or 8,000 RPM. <laughs> 
And then rolling onto the throttle back up to where it makes all that power because the chassis is so light. And this was an engine that didn't, the F1 car didn't want to run below about 5,000 RPM. It wanted to die. Imagine your car, <laughs> yeah. whose red line is probably somewhere between six and 7,000 RPM. So think about how high you have to rev your typical street car to get to 5,000 RPM. The F1 car died below 5,000. Yeah. It just didn't want to run at all. It doesn't idle. Whereas yeah. the Atlantic and the Formula 4, they idle when you take your foot off the yeah, gas. Yeah, yeah. This car didn't idle. You have to constantly blip the throttle. And so Eddie from JNL Fabrications leaned into both of the car both times we drove it. Mm-hmm. And he said, keep it between three and four. And the engine isn't going to run below 5,000 RPM. Yeah. You're going to get no power out of it. Yeah. And they, the engine goes higher than this, but they limited the red line for us to 11,000. <laughs> I wasn't above It 10. goes to 11. Yeah. <laughs> And it was still unbelievable. Such an incredible experience. But the engine is turns over so quickly, you would think the tack runs really smoothly, but the needle jumped around. Mm. It would be at three, four, five, ten, six, five, yeah. two. You know, it would just yeah. jump around instantly because it couldn't keep up with how fast the engine spins and slows down. Yeah, there was no, there was no Phenomenal. watch, watch the tack rise. It was. <laughs> it, it didn't rise and fall. It just no, jumped, jumped and instantly. Yeah. Yep. The, the needle, it was like an air pressure gauge. Just <laughs> and, and he leaned in. I was watching some footage. He leaned in and said, okay, keep your oil at, uh, I think, you know, don't let it go over 100 degrees here. And don't let your coolant go over uh, 110. And I'm thinking, and be handsome and drive fast uh-huh. and say funny, cool, Talk interesting things. Yeah. And don't forget to go fast. Oh, and it's a dog leg shifter. And you're driving a real F1 car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what? watch your oil gauge. Uh, sure, uh-huh. I'll get right on that. We're excited to share. Mr. McGillicuddy writes in on Twitter and says, do we have a comfort preference on the throttle pedal and it's hinging? Do we find a bottom hinge pedal? He says he finds a bottom hinged pedal cumbersome. Now, if you can't think what this looks like, have you ever looked at a bus? Look at a bus driver. The pedals press into the floor of the bus. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're hanging out proud like a, like a wedge in the floor. And then you press them into the floor. They press into the floor of the bus. This is how 911s were. Yeah. For a long time, this is how 911s were. He says, do we find it cumbersome? Do we like it? Do we prefer bottom or top hinge pedals? Most pedals, when you get in a car now, are hanging from the roof of the footbox. Generally, they're hanging from the roof there. I prefer them top hinged. Bottom hinged is really interesting once you drive it enough to get used to it, but it feels really weird. I'll tell you the bottom hinged pedal that bothers me the most, though, and that is a clutch pedal that is bottom hinged. I find really difficult to work with because you're now doing an ankle movement. Mm-hmm. You're, you're flattening mm-hmm. your foot with an ankle movement, and I've never really liked that. And I much—that's the one that annoys me. Uh, I, I've enjoyed both. Uh, let me put it this way: the bottom hinged, floor hinged pedals are one of those things where it's like, oh, oh, that okay. This has that. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I'm also glad I don't own that car. Sure. I mean, I would own that car, but they're more of a, a Porsche novelty because <laughs> that's a Porsche badge on it. <laughs> But they're, they're definitely more of a novelty, and that was just the architecture. Mm-hmm. So run the cables underneath the floor. I get it. The top hinge really are more comfortable. Rag25 asks us, why do sedans get no love from enthusiasts when a model is available both as a sedan and a hatch? Asking this as a Mazda 3 turbo sedan owner. Mm. It's simply perception. Sedans have been around for so long, and the hatch is an interesting shape. And the hatch is kind of a mini SUV, an SUV cell. Sort of like, that's more useful. That appears more useful because it's got a bigger opening. I mean, the the weird thing in the U.S. is we are so concerned about owning a station wagon that often the sedans magically sell in the U.S. and they sell nowhere else. K. Wanton Soup 87 on Instagram asks, 
about the three-pedal six-cylinder Supra being in existence, what are the chances a BMW Z4 with three pedals will appear? There was one for a little while. There were, definitely. Then they killed it. But brand new, on you know, since it shares the assembly line. Yeah. If BMW, I, I think they should, because they are the kings of niche models. And it doesn't matter to them whether they sell about nine units or 800 or more. So I think offering a manual Z4 would actually put buzz back around the Z4 itself. It would give a reason to put that out there. Maybe it's coming. I certainly hope it is. I think if they're smart, they'll capture this moment in time because this is kind of it. I, I feel like at least for BMW. Well, but the BMW, the Z4, the current gen, they offered it briefly with a manual and then they stopped. So they could go back. They could. Now is the chance. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. We'll wrap up with a question here from Stuart P on Twitter asking if we'll give location updates as we come east on our mm. cars the past road trip. Probably we're definitely open to doing that. Probably as we're you know just departing a location, say hey we're on to the next and mm-hmm. you know like moving out. Uh, yeah, this is the reality of taking these old cars. There will be no planning for where we intend to be. There'll be none of that. There will be, we have currently reached said place, and we are now yes, leaving said place. Because of the nature because of the cars. I don't know where I'm going to be in an hour. I can't tell you. Exactly. I mean, hopefully, I'll be an hour down the road, but we're going to have to be open-handed about the whole trip. You're right. The cars will be pointed east, but as when, when we get to a particular destination, yeah. We'll tell you when we've left somewhere, because that's, exactly. we know we got that far. We sure appreciate all your questions. Write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com with your Topic Tuesdays, your car conclusions, most of all your car debates. We really love hearing from you guys. And we're looking forward to next time. See you in Philly. Going to be awesome. Cheers, everyone.